We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. wagers on the NBA playoffs, which conveniently continue tonight. Alex Barutha, we have two games on the schedule. Uh, Milwaukee-Boston, Game 2, Golden State-Memphis, Game 2. As is customary, since we typically record these pods in the late afternoon, we will not do a full breakdown of a game that's going to start in two hours. Uh, But we could touch on those series as a whole, kind of what we saw in Game 1 on Sunday. But I want to start with the two games that we had last night. We had Game 1 between the Sixers and the Heat and game one between the Mavs and the Suns. I don't know about you, but I would say both of these games, I felt like played out about to script as I expected. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, pretty chalky outcomes for both of these games. Obviously, you have the 76ers without Embiid, and then, um, you know, the Suns just play their (laughs) amazing defense. I mean, Doncic still goes off, right? I mean, Doncic has 45, but the rest of the team just, like, can't really – get things going especially Brunson right if Brunson's only gonna score 13 points they're gonna have a tough time even if Doncic is able to score upwards of 40. It almost felt like this was like a caricature of the game that you talk about you know when when one team just has one great player and it's you know let him get his 40 and in this case it was 45 12 and 10 uh, excuse (laughs) me no 45 12 and 8 for Luka Doncic who was fantastic in this game he was 15 of 30 from the field uh, 4 of 11 from 3 11 of 14 at the line uh, as impressive as he's been, you know, in, in playoff series past where we've seen him kind of go one on five uh, against those Clippers teams in each of the previous two seasons. But yeah, you said it, I mean, getting 13 points and eight points out of Brunson and Dinwiddie respectively, that that's not going to be enough for Dallas. I thought, you know, Maxi Kleba at one point, he was five of eight from three on the night. I, I think he started three of three or four or four. Had he not been hitting some wide open corner threes, um, you know, Phoenix was up 10 points at the end of the first quarter they could have been up 20. Like those were huge, like momentum stopping shots by Kleba 
to even keep Dallas within striking distance. Um, overall, you know, I, I think Dallas has to feel okay that this was still a, a pretty close game. You know, under a minute left, it was like a two-possession game. So Dallas had a chance to to still step in and steal this game despite getting almost nothing from, you know, your second and third scorers. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, 45-12-8 and eight from Doncic in a loss. Um, unfortunately, that's becoming, I think, a little bit too much of a recurring theme for this Mavs team. It is. Uh, but at the same time, it's like it's something that we, we've uh, we've kind of talked about with the Mavs, where it's like they just don't really have that like go-to second option. I mean, Brunson sort of turned into that, but it feels like that's more out of necessity than something that's like very sustainable. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, if you're the Mavericks, right? I, you kept the turnovers low. You had only had you only had eight turnovers, um, but you know Phoenix also kept their turnovers low, and the fact that you shot 41 percent from three on 39 attempts and lost this game is a bad sign. Um, and Phoenix also like dominated the offensive glass big time. Uh, 13 offensive rebounds compared to Dallas's seven. So if you're giving Phoenix extra possessions. And uh, you're shooting really well from three, and it's it's not working. It's it's gonna be tough. Yeah, this feels to me like probably a five game series. I think Dallas takes one, uh, but I also feel like people backed off of Phoenix too hard after you know struggling a little bit in round one with New Orleans. Like I, it it felt like people were starting to discuss the Suns as if Devin Booker was healthy for that whole series, and they were struggling. I mean, like most teams would get tripped up when you take away your best player and you're like you know 27 point per game scorer. Um, it, it, it felt like, you know, like even the way that the odds shifted when you start to look at the futures, you know, the Suns became like the fifth or sixth, you know, highest favored team at one point to win the finals, you know, when that series was, was two, two. Um, but you know, I, I think they've, they've pretty quickly reminded everybody with Booker back, uh, that they are the team to beat. And lo and behold, at the DraftKings Sportsbook, they are reinstalled, uh, as the favorites to, to win the, the entire thing. They're plus two thirty five to win the title. This is actually crazy, right? It, Correct me if I'm wrong, that the Warriors are second at plus 270, two teams. Both of these teams cannot make the finals. Like, it is absolutely <laughs> insane to me. Like, that's how good uh, both these teams are and how heavy favorites they are in their respective series that the first and second favorite are in the same conference. Like, at, at this point in the playoffs, that's pretty rare. Yeah, I mean, I think um, that the game one, again, uh, game one of Bucks celtics kind of scared off probably some people in the sports books a bit to assume that it's going to be a Celtics heat conference finals. Um, so I think that's part of it, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think your value, <laughs> your time to get the Suns on value is gone, right? Because coming into the series, like you mentioned, for some reason, uh, I think people weren't factoring in the Booker injury of this and then kind of also weren't factoring in that the jazz as a team just were having a total internal collapse. Um, and so I think they were kind of, people were, viewing the Mavericks as, as better than they actually were mm -hmm. um, or are, I should say. So I, I, I think there's a, a few factors going into that, but yeah, it's just, um, I can understand why the, the books have it that way. Right. Cause if you were, if you're projecting ahead and you think like, yes, this is going to be Suns, uh Suns warriors. I think I would favor the Suns in that series, but it by no means would it be shocking if the, if the warriors kind of quote unquote solved Phoenix and Curry had an amazing series or something like that. And they, they were in the finals. So I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. I mean, Golden, right, State of course. Beat, Golden State beat Memphis by one point on Sunday. Although it felt like, you know, Jaron Jackson had the game of his life. Draymond Green <laughs> was kicked out before halftime. Like a, a lot of things 
went in Memphis's favor in that game and they still lost. So I, I do think, you know, it's, it's fair to say we are very likely headed for a Phoenix Golden State Western Conference final, you know, without, without having to do too much kind of mental research here. Like this would be, this has to be like one of the three most anticipated conference final series in a long time, right? I mean, th- these are two major heavyweights, especially with, with how Golden State has looked early in the playoffs. You know, they, they had a lot of questions coming in. And, you know, right now to win the Western Conference, it's Phoenix plus 100, Golden State plus 115. Like, I don't even know how to handicap that series. I, I think you're right that Phoenix would be slight favorites due in large part to the fact that they get the series to start at home. They get game seven at home. But, I mean, that to me is as close and as competitive of a conference finals as, as we will have seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, if you just start going backwards, right? So last year it was Suns Clippers, which kind of got the air taken out of it because of Kawhi. And then Lakers Nuggets, <laughs> that wasn't really like that anticipated. You know what I mean? No, like, it was double. not. You're, you're not overstating <laughs> that. It was not. <laughs> Warriors Blazers the year before that, that was a sweep. Year before that, Warriors Rockets. I guess Warriors Rockets in, in 2018 is probably yeah. where we have to go back. But it doesn't. I don't know. I, I personally wasn't that excited for that one because that was still when Gold State had Durant. And Durant got hurt in that series. And that's partially why it became more competitive. But I, I don't remember going in thinking, even though Houston was the one seed in that series, um, you know, I'm looking right now, the going into the series, Golden State was minus 200 to win that. Like to me, okay. that's, you know, it's, it's not like a, a runaway favorite, but it's a pretty big favorite. It is. Yeah. I, Phoenix would not be minus 200. I, I don't think no, over the no, Warriors. No. I think it would be something like minus 130 or 140, yeah. maybe. Uh, I'm looking at, by comparison, in 2016, we had Cavs Raptors. In the East Finals, that I mean, that's when the Cavs were were obviously rolling and, and went on to win the title. They were minus thirteen fifty to win that series. <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. The year before, Cleveland was only minus one ninety to beat Atlanta, and they swept that series. Wow. Yeah. The um, not a lot of faith in Toronto at that point. No. No. Um. Yeah. We'll we'll have to do some research uh, after the pod, and and next time we chat, we can maybe come up with a list, but. Yeah, I mean, barring hopefully there there are no more freak injuries. It feels like we've already had too many early on in the playoffs. Um, but man, if we if we get a fully healthy Phoenix Suns against a fully healthy Warriors, uh, that, that's going to be a hell of a series. What did you see from uh, the early game yesterday, Miami Philly? I, I don't have a ton of takeaways, but you know, interested to see if, if you have anything that you pulled from this. You know, with no Joel Embiid, it, it is really hard to to come away with something like that. I feel great about again without Joel Embiid I think (laughs) I mean the 76ers they're going to shoot better than uh 17% from three in the next game uh they went six of 34 so obviously that's going to improve at the same time the Heat only shot 25% as well he dominated the offensive class which again not surprising you have no Joel Embiid Paul Millsap and DeAndre Jordan are um they're like statuesque out there and then your only other option is Paul Reed, who again, like great hustle guy, but he's like what six foot eight, maybe. He's you know like I haven't measured him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But um, I, I think the main thing, if I mean, if you're just looking at box score stuff, it's like obviously Philly missed all their threes. Miami dominated the possession game, and I just think without Embiid, it's just Harden can't step up in the way like he's not. Harden needs to average like 30 to 35 a game for the 76ers to even have a chance in these games, I think, without Embiid, especially if the absence extends to like most of the series, you know, like a, like four or five or even game six or something. 
So Harden had, I think, four points on five shots in the second half of this game. And, you know, you said it, Miami played so badly early on. Like, they, they had some, like, comical stretches in the first half where, I mean, they, they were playing, like, a D-minus game early on and, and obviously got it together to some degree. But overall, this was not a great game for Miami, and they still cruised to a victory. Like, that's, that's a very bad sign. But this game was within reach uh, early in the second half and even, you know, deeper into the second half. And, you know, it, I would almost rather, and I said this to, to Jeff Erickson on the radio today, like, wouldn't you rather Harden just go down firing? Like, it would be better if he was 6 of 30 from the field and was just clanking everything, you know, just couldn't get anything going than just being super passive and showing no interest, no urgency whatsoever in stepping up without Embiid. I mean, it's it's astounding. Like, these last two playoffs, so counting the seven games from this year and the nine games that he played for the Nets last year, so a 16-game sample uh, in 2021 and 2022, he's averaging 12.5 shots per game in the playoffs. Like, wow. James Harden is averaging 12.5 shots per game in the playoffs. His previous, let's see, Seven playoff runs with the Houston Rockets. So from 14 to 20, he averaged 20.5 shots per game. Like he is at this point, just a completely different player. Like I, I don't, I don't know if he's just not interested, if he's lost that, that extra year, you know, that he used to have. Um, obviously he used to, you know, he's developed a reputation for, for coming up short in the playoffs, but with Houston, he would at least go down firing. You know, there were a few notable exceptions, but you know, he would just, he would have off shooting games, but you know, he would take 27 shots I, to me, it's worse when you're you're so passive and, and just disinterested and, you know, just kind of looking at Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris and saying, you know, you guys take care of it. Yeah, it seems bizarre. He just seems like he's not that interested anymore in being a number one option. Like, he doesn't even care who the other guys are out there. He's like, you know what? Maxey, handle it. Tobias, you know, take your mid-range. Uh, you know, do your, do whatever you got to do. Give me the ball when you have to, you know. <laughs> he, like, wants to be a, re- a release valve instead of a main guy at this point. Um, or or he has to be instead of a main guy because of I don't know if it's the hamstring I don't know if it's his age maybe it's a combination of everything um, and part of the issue too is here so like if you don't have Embiid you know having Embiid is like a, it's like a hack for your half court offense it's like it, it's just it opens up so much stuff in the half court if you don't have him you you become pre- uh, completely predictable you don't have the talent and also Harden's not that guy who's going to run in transition anymore so if you're Philadelphia you're trapped in half court offense where you like don't have anyone that's a success, uh, successful player in the half court anymore besides like Tyrese Maxey, just cause he's like having an amazing year. Um, but they have to like push the tempo if they're going to play without a beat. And again, that's something Harden doesn't want to do. Yeah. I mean, Harden is the key piece here. I mean, it, this felt like almost a worst case scenario type of game where I, I think everybody who's watched Harden over the years knew what this game was going to present. You know, they, if there was ever a time for old Harden to reemerge with no Embiid, it was now. And to see him come out and take 13 shots in 35 minutes, only get to the line four times, turn it over five times. I, it's, it's really, really discouraging. And it's hard to imagine that that changes in game two. With that said, I mean, defensively Philadelphia survived. I think a lot of it was just sloppiness on Miami's part. A lot of yeah. missed open shots. I mean, you had Gabe Vincent, Max Drews, Victor Oladipo, who all played big minutes in this game. Those guys combined to go two of 19 from three, Jimmy Butler was one of four from three. Caleb Barton was 0 of three. I mean, this was a, a horrific shooting performance uh, by Miami that was really salvaged by Tyler Hero having a nice game off the bench. But, you know, Philly had Niang go 0 of seven, Thibel 0 of two, Jake Milton 0 of one, Maxi 1 of six. Um, you know, an equally bad shooting performance by Philadelphia. So I, I think both teams could kind of look and say, you know, we're going to play better in game two. The problem is this was not a one point game like Golden State Memphis. Like 
both teams are going to play better and it's probably going to be the same type of margin. Right, exactly. Right. It's like if both teams have shot this bad, then you just throw that out, essentially, and you look at everything else. And Miami won everything else except free throws, and they didn't even lose free throws by that much. It was 20 to 18, right? Hargan only got to the free throw line four times. So uh, as of right now, I mean, I would be I would be legitimately shocked if Miami lost this next game. And I mean, maybe Philly pulls one out at home without Embiid, but I, you know, so much, it almost feels like so much would have to go right for them. Like they would have to get so hot um, shooting Harden would have to have a turn back the clock game. And I just, it, are all those things going to happen at once? Maybe. And we're talking just to win one game, let alone right. win more <laughs> yeah. of the next six. You know, I mean, it, right. if it doesn't come back, I feel pretty comfortable saying that the, the book is shut on this series and Miami's going to have a nice, uh, nice little walk to the conference finals. Um, let's, let's do Milwaukee, Boston and, and Golden State, Memphis real quick. Uh, again, these teams are playing tonight, so we won't go too deep. Um, Marcus Smart's not going to play in game two. Uh, we, we just found that out a couple of minutes ago. That, that is obviously a big deal. Um, coming into the day, Milwaukee was plus five in this game, you know, Celtics five point okay. favorites at home. They're bigger favorites in game two than they were going into game one. That, that was a little surprising to me. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's, I, I, I you know, I, people can sometimes overreact to game one and Boston gets another game at home and you figure they're going to play better. And I understand why, uh, I understand why people would be willing to just assume Boston's going to take this one. Plus Boston's a pretty public team, you know, sports. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. Um, as far as this game goes, I mean, I think it's kind of been hammered home at this point, just like the amount of threes that Boston took. They took 53 pointers in this game. Obviously, that's like part of Milwaukee. That's what Milwaukee wants to do, right? They just want to force other teams to shoot threes. Brooke Lopez in the drop coverage. Al Horford's going to be wide open for as many threes as he wants to take. Um, but it's uh, they just didn't really have a great answer for Giannis. I thought specifically, I mean, Holiday was amazing as well. But watching Giannis, I felt like he was playing with a lot more patience, even though he continues to get in trouble with his offensive fouls. And he was like refusing to finish with his left hand and like blew a ton of open layups because he was trying some weird right-handed scoop layup from the left side of the basket. But I think if those things correct, which they should, he's the chance for him to have like a monster game, like a 35, 12 and 12 game is, is definitely here. Yeah, I think that's what's a little scary for Boston is you lose game one by 12 points and Giannis went 9 of 25 from the field, 6 of 11 at the line, 5 turnovers, uh, 0 of 2 from 3. It, you know, Milwaukee, I think, played well overall. Drew Holiday had probably his best individual game of the postseason so far. Grayson Allen stayed hot. Pat Connaughton gave them some good minutes. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't an overwhelming performance by Milwaukee. I mean, the Bucks only scored 101 points. Um, I, I think defensively it was more impressive. By Milwaukee, but at the same time, Boston missed a ton of open threes. Again, at the same time, they also hit 18 on the night. You know, like Milwaukee was 12 of 34, Boston 18 of 50. So, in terms of efficiency, Boston has the edge there. Uh, the Celtics did turn it over a ton, uh, seven by Jalen Brown. He's going to be better. Um, but I, I overall, very encouraging performance, I thought, by Milwaukee. Um, you know, It'd be, it'd be one thing if Milwaukee came out and went like 21 of 50 from three and, you know, St. Allen's eight right. of 10 and you're just raining threes all over. It really wasn't that type of game. I, I thought Milwaukee, you know, out executed Boston in the half court, out executed Boston on defense, thought the role players were better for Milwaukee. 
and, and things like that can, can be cyclical, you know, throughout the series, but man, I mean, I'm close to declaring this a must win for Boston in game two. I mean, you can't go back to Milwaukee down Oh two with Chris Middleton, you know, potentially coming back toward the end of the series. Yeah, that would be uh that'd be tough. And if, if smart's going to miss this game, that this is like one of the most high leverage. You're right. I think this is a must win, right? If you yeah. are in the building as a Boston fan, uh, you're, uh, it's just, you, you, I think, you know, that this is one of the most important playoff games that you might see <laughs> like uh, within the next few years, or, or maybe one of the more relevant ones in recent years, like just the, the ramifications of, either winning or losing this game are, are so big for Boston. Yeah. Interested to, to discuss this one, um, you know, after it happens on Tuesday night, let's, let's do Warriors Memphis real quickly. Um, awesome game one, uh, back and forth, really the entire night. Uh, Draymond Green gets ejected late in the second quarter of that game. It looked like that maybe would swing everything. And, and yet Golden State, you know, controlled most of that second half. Memphis made a late run, uh, had a chance to win it on that Morant kind of running lefty layup, uh, with like a, what 3.6 seconds left, I think after the the review, um, couldn't quite get it done. I, I that felt to me like not a must win for Memphis, but it felt to me more like a you know massive missed opportunity for the Grizzlies as opposed to the Warriors like stealing one without Draymond Green. You know, I, I think the Warriors could have lost that game and still been okay. I, I worry about Memphis. I mean, they're now in a very similar spot to to, to the Boston Celtics tonight, where you, you know you're going down 0-2 after getting the first two at home. Uh, pretty scary proposition heading back to San Francisco, needing to win four of the next five, you know, against this team. I agree. Yeah. And you, yeah. With Draymond going out, that's your, that's your chance. You're yes. at home. Draymond's out. You still like, they still had a really hard time stopping golden state from getting to the rim. Um, you know, I just Bain, like Bane and Brooks both had like, pretty bad games Bane was, um, Bane was bad I, I think he's banged up a little bit I mean he's questionable to play tonight so we'll see about that yeah he went three for 10 didn't really do much else D- Dylan Brooks Brooks, but Brooks three for 13 um had five fouls as well although you kind of expect you know yeah. Brooks to rack up some fouls yeah I mean there's there's opportunities on both sides here for for these teams to play better right but I think if you are if you're if you're Memphis, you do feel like you'd let one slip, especially you shot forty percent from three and you lost. Um, you know, yeah. Warriors shot thirty seven percent, which really not that different. But um, it's tough, man. It's tough, man. I, they this is again. I think you're right. This is pretty much a must win for them. Yeah, for me, it's the Draymond piece. You know, not being able to take advantage of not having him the entire second half. You know, it's not like he got ejected midway through the fourth quarter. It's like you had you had twenty four plus minutes of guaranteed no Draymond Green. Uh, and, and we're unable to take advantage. I mean, that's that's really difficult. I also think, I mean, one of the chances that Jaron Jackson gives you 33 and 10, six of nine for <laughs> three, like that's not happening again. Although, I mean, the fact that he only had three fouls in 31 minutes, I mean, he's going to be able to play in this series. I, I think if you're Memphis, you can at least hang your hat on that. Um, like, I mean, Jaron Jackson was almost unplayable because he was in foul trouble immediately every single game of that Timberwolves series because he's guarding someone like Carl Anthony Towns, you know, and, and Golden State's not going to do that. So like I, unless he becomes really reckless on defense, he should at least be able to stay on the floor in this series. But again, you're not, you're not going to expect six of nine from three out of him. And a lot of those were really tough looks. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you're going to just bank on, I mean, Clay Thompson, three of 10 from three Curry, 
they're going to have an amazing game. Pool goes off for 31. Yeah. I think those guys, like when I, whenever I look at those three guys, I kind of just combine their stats together. <laughs> Cause I'm yeah. just like, well, if, if like two of these guys have, I know that like two of these three guys are going to have a great game. Right. So it's like, you got the bad Thompson game. So it's like, well, you know, um, by agreement, it's is Jackson. I don't know. Next game. He might come out and rack up five fouls in 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. Yeah, there's a case to be made that that this might be the worst game you get out of the Curry Thompson Pool trio in this series, and and Pool was amazing. I mean, it felt like he had more than 31. It, it felt like he scored every basket for like a 10 minute stretch at one point. Um, and you know, Clay missed some wide open threes. Curry missed a, a super uncharacteristic wide open three uh, that that would have almost put it away for Golden State late. Um, so yeah, again, I mean, if you're Memphis to to, to not escape from this one with a win. I, I think you're, you're not feeling great. Um, although this is a confident team. So, so we'll see how game two plays out. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. 
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I want to return to the top 150, the way too early top 150, in fact, that we put out, uh, went live on Friday morning of last week. Um, you know, it's going to be up for a while. So make sure you check that out. Um, you know, we'll, we'll issue updates throughout the off season. We'll do our you know, official rankings with projections, of course, uh, in the fall after free agency, after the draft, but this will kind of act as our guide uh, at least through the spring and, and early summer until we have a bunch of player movement. And we touched on it a little bit last week Did a, did kind of a preview uh, before it went live, but it's now up on the site. Uh, you can check out the full 150. We, we essentially did a composite ranking where we, we each compiled our own cross-reference, took the average, uh, and then made a few manual tweaks, you know, for guys who, who came out, um, you know, notably higher or lower than we knew that they should be. Um, but overall, pretty satisfied, I think, with how these came together. Um, we, we disagreed on a few guys, but I think in general, you know, the guys we were really far apart on obviously ended up averaging out and, and came to a spot uh, that makes a lot of sense. But um, is there anybody in the top five or ten specifically that you want to talk about right away or if you just kind of want to introduce, you know, the top of the rankings? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think like Tatum, Tatum and Harden are two guys that I, I kind of have a hard time with. Um, we discussed Harden a little bit last time, just in terms of like how much of what we've seen is real from James Harden, how much of it is like, he wasn't trying that hard earlier in the season. Uh, but at the same time, like he was, it, it, it I still believe Harden's going to be basically like a 20 and 10 guy with a good amount of rebounds and I feel like his shooting efficiency will, will get a little bit better. It's like, that's still going to be a top 10 guy, right? Like it's just, uh, so I'll be kind of interested to see where people view him and then Tatum. I mean, at this point, it's starting to feel like the sky's the limit for him. I just don't like part of it for us is we're sort of going, obviously we're going based off of like last year's rankings and even previous years, but sometimes it's hard to tell exactly what a player's fantasy ceiling is based on, like what kind of stats they put up like for Tatum. It's like, how high can he really go unless he becomes like a six assists a game guy, or he starts getting like close to three combined steals and blocks, you know? Um, or is he going to need to add like a ton of rebounding to his case? And is that even possible with this team? So uh, those two guys, I, I just kind of found like tough to rank. Yeah. Tatum is a good one uh, to, to hit on. We have met number three, Overall, um, and you know, part of that is I, I think I had him higher than you in, in the the individual rankings. And you know, we we also compiled these like when Tatum was in the middle of that like massive series against Brooklyn. So you know, maybe, maybe there's like some like mega recency bias in there. But he to me is like the one guy, really, of almost the entire top ten that you could see making a notable leap next season. You know, like Jokic, it, it feels impossible that he could be any any better right. statistically than he was this year. Uh, Curry, obviously with age is going to decline, you know, Giannis is kind of right at this peak, Harden, Trey Young, Carl Anthony Towns, Durant, Doncic, Embiid, like all those guys, it, it kind of feels like have hit their peak. Um, whereas with Tatum, you know, like the ascent that he had over the second half of this season, um, you know, if he plays like that over the course of all of next season and even takes like a 10% leap, you know, there, there's, there's a little more upside, I think there with him, but like you said, I think there's a case to be made that he, he's in that basket now of players who, is more valuable and more highly regarded in as a real life player than a fantasy player. 
Yeah, I, I think so. So he ranked uh he ranked fourteenth this season per game in eight cat. Um I mean I think I think if you're like looking at is there anything you can take away from these playoffs that gives you hope for like a better fantasy season, it's that he's averaging seven assists a game. Um yes. and one point eight steals. Now during the regular season, are they just gonna let Marcus Smart and Derek White kind of run things a little bit more and let Tatum, you know, like not coast, but you know, like some higher level coasting, not have them handle the ball all the time. That's that's also part of it too, because they have a they have a well balanced enough team where it's like Horford can pass and Jalen Brown's gonna get his touches. But if you're just looking for pure upside, yeah, I mean you have to be encouraged by the the passing Agatagum while he's still scoring twenty eight a game. My only point on Harden, and I, I feel like we had the same conversation last year, is even when everything's going wrong, even when we spent the first 10 minutes of the pod talking about how bad he was last night, he's still going to get his 22, 10, and 7. You know, like it it doesn't seem to matter who's around him. It doesn't matter if the team is winning. Even when it feels like he's in the midst of a bad stretch, you look up and he's he's always better statistically than you think. Yeah, I mean, people are like, well, this is Harden's having a terrible year. And like by his standards... Yeah, I mean, technic- technically, it's his worst fantasy season since 2011-12. However, he's still ranked fifth. Like, you know, we're, we're like, he's still 22 and 10 with eight rebounds, and he's ranked fifth. So even if he declines a little bit, like, he's still going to be a top 10 fantasy player. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm sure people are going to come out with some crazy takes that like you can't draft Harden in the top 10 or something. Um, I'm not ready to go there yet. We'll see what happens. You know, if I'm like picking eighth and Hargan's still on the board and <laughs> Doncic is also still on the board, I think I know which way I'm going to lean. But mm-hmm. uh, I think I think more broadly, he has, he's still in that in that range. I think you're going to be able to get him at a bargain. Honestly, I, I think there are there are going to be a lot of people who are colored by you know, especially if he if he really goes out in flames in this second round series. And kind of heads into the offseason with his stock at, at an all-time low and, you know, his future kind of up in the air. Yeah, I think there's going to be a, a bargain market for James Harden. So I'll list off the top 10 real quickly. And I want you to tell me which of the top 10 players in our rankings you are most inclined to stay away from. Or essentially, who could be the biggest bust of that 10? So in order, we have Jokic, Curry, Tatum, Giannis, Harden, Trey Young, Carl Anthony Towns, Durant, Doncic, and Bede. Uh, well, in the top, in the, for my early picks, I like to avoid injuries. So my, my initial, uh, Durant and Embiid stand out to me just from like Durant has not really played that many games. I know he missed a lot of time. I think it was due to protocols this season, right? Like he, he played 55 games, but I think a lot of that missed time was protocols. Um, but he's still, I mean, he's, he's played, if you're discounting the playoffs, like the regular season games he's played, he's played 90, 90 regular season games since tearing his Achilles. Yep. That's over um, the course of three seasons. Yeah. And he's going to be turning 34 next year. I don't love it. Like I, Durant's amazing, obviously, but I, I assume there's going to be continued rest days. And I'm uh, just in general worried about his, his, you know, the injuries and Embiid. I kind of feel like this is a best case scenario for Embiid. What happened this year, like from a health perspective, um, he uh, he played sixty eight games most of his career by by four games, and um, total value ranked third, which is great. Obviously, per game value also ranked third, but 
Uh, I still, again, I'm still going to be that guy who is going to wait until basically the turn to draft him, which is pretty much where we have him ranked. I, I don't think 10th is, I think 10th fair value, but I'm never, I don't think I'm ever getting him beat at 10. Like, I think people draft him before that. I think in general, you're right. But at the same time, there's so much talent right now. I, I think, especially if everybody, you know, if we don't have any freak injuries, the rest of the playoffs or over the off season, you know, you're adding, you know, healthy Paul George, healthy Kawhi Leonard, healthy Damian Lillard, healthy Anthony Davis, you know, ostensibly Kyrie Irving, who's available for every game. Um, like there's such a deep pool of talent that like it, the risks that are presented with guys like Embiid and Durant, you know, like to me, like I would take Towns over Durant. I would take Trey Young over Durant, Harden, yeah, like everybody we have above him, essentially, I would take over him. And it, it seems wrong in theory. You know, Durant was the number two player in per game value this year. But I, there's there's so many talented players that don't have glaring injury risks that to me, it's, it's kind of an unnecessary risk. Like you don't you don't have to feel bad about not taking Durant at four because you're still going to get another player who's like really, really good and not that much worse on a per game basis. Right. And I understand there's some people have the mentality of like, well, anybody can get hurt, right? Like you could draft Giannis because he's safe and then he can get hurt and that's that. But I would, (laughs) I would just rather, I like, if a guy's a consistent injury risk, I'm just not going to deal with it. Like if it's a Kevin Love, Blake Griffin situation, which Embiid's not there, but everyone's very aware of how much time he's missed. I'm just, I'm just not interested at like his per game value. I would love to have someone with that mantra on the pod, just the like, Injuries don't matter. Everybody is equally injury prone. Like, is that guy taking Porzingis like one one? Uh, you gotta, yeah, you gotta draft yeah. Porzingis like fifteenth. He's just yeah, luck's got to come around. You know, there's there's no compounding nature to injuries whatsoever. <laughs> uh, we need to address the number eleven overall player in our rankings, LeBron James. Something crazy happened. You were significantly higher on Lakers forward LeBron James as he enters his twentieth NBA season next year. Uh, you were much higher on him than me, which is a, a pretty big reversal from years past or our entire lives. Uh, I was also marginally higher on RJ Barrett than you. Um, yeah, I well, we, we're going to get to that. That's in my notes. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that might be even more improbable. Yeah. So, I mean, the way we did these rankings, it was basically a this guy or that guy situation. Like we we pick, who would you rather have on your team? We did like 800 different choices. And after all that, LeBron ended up at number two for me, which I was kind of surprised by but also just didn't feel like moving him down. Um, I think he ended up in the correct place between both of our rankings, which is 11th. I think that's where he'll probably get drafted. But he ranked, hey, he ranked fourth this season per game. Um, The best fantasy season of his career since his final year in Miami. Um, It's just crazy to me that he did this while... Russell Westbrook was there screwing things up the entire time. And the team was total dysfunction. And he was, people are going to say, well, he was, he was just out there to get his numbers. Okay. What happens if the team like actually becomes coherent next season, which who knows, but if they have to trade Westbrook for pennies on the dollar, like I, I hope they're at least getting like some shooters or something, you know, LeBron averaging like 30 a game. And I should mention, so a huge part of a huge part of his rank increase was his free throw percentage. Yes. That guy has to be mentioned because for three seasons in a row, for his first three seasons in LA, 68% from the free throw line. He jumps up to 77, 76% this year. So he's almost a 10% increase in free throw percentage. And that is a huge portion of what dra- of what pushed up his fantasy value. So if he regresses in that aspect next year, yeah, we're going to see him back at like 15 or 20. 
Uh, if he happens to make more improvements there, like if he can get back up to like the 78, 79 range, like when he was in Miami, then then it's going to continue going up. Hopefully. I mean, if he can keep the volume up and stuff like that. Yeah. Sky's the limit. I mean, I mentioned Tatum as somebody who could still be improving year to year. Maybe I should have mentioned LeBron too. Could, could he get even better as, as he enters? I don't know anymore, man. Well, that's the thing. So on top of the free throw percentage, which you're totally right. That was a huge factor. He also like doubled his blocks. He was at 1.1 yeah. blocks. First time yeah. since first time since 2009-10 that he averaged more than a block per game. Um, you know, his three-pointers per game were at a by far career high. He was at almost 3.0 per game. His overall field goal percentage was up relative to last year. And I think most importantly, his minutes were up. I mean, he was up four minutes per game compared to last season. So I, I think we kind of have to throw out the book when it comes to you know, is this the year that LeBron's finally going to fall off? Like people were saying that when he was like his second year in Cleveland, you know, and we're now like seven years past that. And you know, I, I just, there's just, I don't know. It's going to happen at some point, obviously. I don't know when I, you know, if you've been playing the LeBron's falling off game for the last five years, it's been a, a pretty big losing battle. Um, but at some point it's going to happen. I, I guess my question is like, can they put a decent enough roster around him that he doesn't have to play 37 minutes per game? next season is that even feasible because knowing lebron if they don't have a good roster and they need to get wins he's not missing the playoffs again so you know even though everything around him is going to say hey you should be on more of a chris paul you know 30 32 minutes most nights if you can afford it type of plan we know lebron if the lakers are struggling he's going to be out there 38 minutes a night if he wants to well i think lebron lebron's also interested in racking up his numbers and i don't i'm not saying that like in a bad way like I think most people, if they were in LeBron's position, would be like, yes, I'm going to be the all-time leading yes. scorer. If in the I had NBA. a chance to become the NBA's all-time leading scorer, I personally would do it. But, <laughs> exactly. Right. And that, that, that includes racking up other stats as well. So, like, yes, obviously there's risk in playing LeBron 37 minutes a game when, and I think if you're trying to knock down some of his fantasy value, it's like look at his games played over the past four years. It's 55, 67, 45, 56. Um, but I think he you know, does he even really practice at this point? Like, I think he's just, when he's playing the, like basically the practice for him is playing in games and he'll just play the 37, 38 minutes that he has to play. Um, But yeah, I mean, if the free throws regress and the defensive stats regress, it's, it's, I mean, drafting him number two would not, you're, you're not giving yourself any room there, right? Like if you draft him at number two, it's just like the chances of him finishing below that are way higher than the chances of him finishing at two or one. Yeah, for me, it's just about the injuries at this point. And I know they've all been isolated kind of freak incidents dating all the way back to him, like slipping on the court during his first year with the Lakers on a wet spot. Um, you know, we had the DeAndre Hunter or wait, was it DeAndre Hunter last year? Who was it that? Uh, oh, Solomon Hill. Solomon Hill. Yeah. Solomon Hill. Sorry. Yeah, apologies to DeAndre Hunter. Um, yeah, we had that. And then, you know, this past year, you know, kind of a, a series of just random injuries. But that's what happens as you get older. So I, I personally, I don't think I would take him that high. Um, you know, I, you could argue that like maybe he's weirdly due to stay healthy because he does take such good care of his body. You know, like maybe he'll finally dodge the freak injury this year. If that's the case and you get him at, you know, 15 or 20 overall, then you have a chance to, to have a really nice bargain. I mean, he still finished 16th in total value despite all those missed games this past year. Right. Um, looking at guys outside the top 10, is there somebody in that like 10 to 20, you could even go, you know, into 25 to 30 if you want. Is there anybody in that range who you feel came out like way 
underrated, you know, somebody who you personally would think about taking toward the end of the first round? Uh, underrated. Um, well, I, Darius Garland had a really good year, man. Um, and we have him ranked 17th. I think I, I can't say I would like love to take him in the first round, but you're going to have to, you know, um, DeJounte Murray comes to mind too. Like, I think people are going to have to make that decision between like DeJounte Murray and like Damian Lillard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally would take Lillard a little higher. I, I think he has such a, a, you know, a decade long track record of just being super durable, super reliable. I, I think I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think for me, you're more so choosing between that whole group of young guards. You know, it's right. If you're picking 14th, do you want DeJounte Murray, LaMelo Ball, Darius Garland, Tyrese Halliburton, Fred Van Vliet? And you could you could throw Devin Booker in there. You could throw Donovan Mitchell in there. I mean, I I think some people would probably put like Kyrie Irving in that group as well. I I don't know if there's a correct answer. I I think all those guys, you know, are kind of have like equally high floors and equally high ceilings. If that makes sense, I, I think I would lean Murray of that group just because of, of what he does defensively, you know, that like having a guy who is going to be the favorite to lead the league, lead the league in steals and also almost average a triple double. Like to me, that's, that's super, super valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it is a really tough crew to, uh, to, to evaluate in terms of like who you, who you should draft first. Um, Irving is like a top (laughs) Irving's been like a top five. I think he's finished sixth in per game value three seasons in a row but it's just he never he's never on the court right and you can put aside some of those i think you you can put aside the coronavirus issues and and stuff like that but even before that he was never healthy so he's kind of a he's kind of a tough draft but some of this is like who has the you know who has the full backing of the organization who's going to see absurdly high usage um is is someone at risk like you know i think lamello lamello has a really high ceiling but he's also on a team with Terry Rozier and Miles Bridges and Gordon Hayward when he's healthy. And those guys are going to like take away some usage once in a while. DeJounte Murray, no one's taking away usage from DeJounte Murray. Um, I don't think anyone's taking usage away from Darius Garland unless they happen to bring Sexton back. And I mean, maybe Levert, but Levert was also not looking great with the, with the Cavaliers. So I don't really know what that's going to turn out being. Um, and even Halliburton to an extent, right? Halliburton's fantasy numbers are insane. Um, just like how well his stats translate to fantasy. He's going to be competing with Malcolm Brogdon a little bit and Buddy Heald to some extent, although I'm not too worried about Halliburton considering how well he played next to Darren Fox. Um, but yeah, it's a, some of that's just going to come down, I think, to personal preference. Yeah, Halliburton's a little tough because it, you know he went from a, kind of a bad situation in Sacramento, but one where he was playing a pretty big role to... Indiana, where they just handed him the reins right away. Like Malcolm Brogdon barely played after that trade. So we, we have not got to see those two coexist at all. So I think what Halliburton did over the final 25 games, there's a chance it's not sustainable, right? Because Malcolm Brogdon is going to get hurt at some point. He's going to miss 25 games over the course of the season. But when he's out there, I, I don't I don't know that Halliburton can replicate those same, especially like the assist numbers. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe they trade Brogdon, right? Because they can trade him this offseason. Yes. Um, and if they really are tanking, then I would think that they would try to move him. Um, so that's possible as well. I mean, if they really, if they move him, and maybe they even find a way to move Heald, um, if Halliburton is going to be the legitimate number one option, 
on the Pacers, then we might have him too low at 19. Yeah, very, very true. Um, Buddy Heald, by the way, top 40 player in total yep. value this past season. He is somebody that I always – I feel like I barely ended up with, with any shares of him this past year, but he's somebody I always just want to get, you know, in like the, I don't know, eighth, ninth round, wherever he comes around. He has finished second in total made threes in three straight seasons now. And he was fourth the season before that. So, I mean, that for, for a guy who I think is oftentimes just forgotten and like every year, it seems like there's questions about what his role will be. He always finds a way to finish second and made threes. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if he, if he stays on the team with Halliburton, um, a lot of upside there. Cause they were, yeah. Indiana was not shy about playing him. Like things got weird in Sacramento for a while in terms of his role. But he was, they let him handle the ball in Indiana. I mean, when he was with the Pacers, he averaged 18, five and five um, in 36 minutes. And obviously he was launching up eight and a half threes a game. Um, maybe they empower him to shoot even more mm-hmm. if he stays. The, the part of the problem is like, if you're tanking and you're Indiana, Buddy Heald is 29. So is it like, you're not going to develop Buddy Heald really. I mean, if you're going to develop yeah. him, it's, it's too trade in. 29 seems low, honestly, especially for a guy who like jumped a year <laughs> during his NBA career that I, I would have guessed he was like 31. He's a rookie at 23. So yeah. he's, yeah. Um, let's talk about Kawhi real quickly. Obviously, we did not see Kawhi Leonard at all this season. We have him at 26 in our rankings. And this is one that I actually feel really good about. I think 26 is spot on for a guy who is going to come into the season having not played, you know, since the 2021 playoffs. Uh, even before that has a track record of missing a ton of time with that said per game rankings uh, over his last six seasons seventh seventh 33rd which is the year that he barely played and forced his way out ninth fourth and tenth so this guy is an absolute for sure first rounder in terms of per game value but you know you have to you always have to write in the missed games and I don't know. Like, do you, do you view this past year as a missed season? Is this more reason to worry about injuries or is there a case to be made that because he didn't play at all, even though he was recovering from an injury, you know, he's going to have what, maybe I'm doing the math wrong, but like 18 months or so uh, by the time next season tips off, like he should be as fresh and healthy as he's been in a very long time. Yes. I, for him, it's tough, man. You know, cause like he, the season after, the, the Spurs thing went down. The Spurs thing going down the way it did was a huge red flag for his future injury potential. Uh, and has been for a while. I mean, obviously, this is not news. The, the quad issue he's dealing with has been reported to be degenerative, which is bad. And now he's dealing with like extra ACL injuries, which is not good. So it's like, I'm just worried that he's kind of like, <laughs> like he's just going to be playing with a dead leg. Like, I don't like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's, he's 30 years old coming off these injuries that one of the issue is degenerative. I don't know. I like, he's still, he's still finished. You know, he played 52 games in 2020, 21, still finished 21st. His last season or is his one season in Toronto. He played 60 games, still finished 22nd. Like he is that good. And you mentioned the per game value. So I understand if you want to draft him in the twenties, cause I think people are going to look at it and be like, well, these couple seasons, he missed like 20 games and still finished 20th. Why not just draft him there? And so I think people will do that. Um, I'm not, I prefer to take him in the late twenties because I'm around that range. You're also staring at guys like even Kyrie or Jimmy Butler, who again has injury issues of his own, 
but not to the extent that Kawhi does. You have Siakam and Sabonis. Adebayo is in that range. You could maybe get Chris Paul or Anthony Edwards. I think people are going to be like, well, would I rather have Anthony Edwards or Kawhi Leonard at this point? And I think that's going to be a real question people have to ask themselves on, on draft day. He's very close to getting put on the Nick Whalen do not draft list. I, there, uh, there's a point for any player where I would take him. If Kawhi's sitting there at 50, I'm going to take him. I will put that out there right now. If he's there at 21, I don't think I would take him. I, I think Edwards is a good example. I mean, pretty much any player we have listed from like 18 to 35, I would probably rather have than Kawhi Leonard, just for the security reasons. You know, I like it. The the per game values and the, you know the total values that you read off, like those are at this at this point that's best case, right? Is Kawhi finishes like 12th? You know, so. You draft that guy at 26, he finishes 12th. Yeah, that's that's a nice value. It's a jump of more than a round, but it's not like it's somebody that you're taking, you know, 60th overall and you you hit the jackpot. Like to me, the the upside is not quite high enough. Like there's no chance that he finishes top 10. He's just not going to play enough games. To me, it's not risking that. It's not worth risking that in the second round. You know, mid to late third, no. maybe then you consider it. No, and a point I do like to I, I like to bring up uh is like when you're dealing with these high injury guys. And you're thinking like, well, hopefully I'll get 60 games out of Kawhi Leonard. It's like he might play 60 games, but the chance of you, of you using him for 60 games of fantasy value is very low because there are going to be those weeks where they play three games and there's a back-to-back and you know he's sitting out. And it's like, well, are you going to use Kawhi Leonard for these two games or are you going to use some other guy who's on a four-game week that's pretty good? Um, and what happens if he gets injured on a Monday or it's just a completely random rest day? And then the end of the season, it's like, doesn't even really count towards fantasy. It's like, there's, you might only be able to effectively use Kawhi Leonard for like 40 games if he plays 60 games. So that's part of the issue too, with these, with these high injury guys. That's a really sharp point. Yeah. I mean, 60, like if he plays 60 games, how many are, are, how many of those games are actually translating to fantasy value is something you have to consider. Um, Let's, let's try to go rapid fire through a couple more names. DeMar DeRozan, we have at 32 which is 20 spots lower than he finished this past season. You kind of have to build in some regression here, right? I mean, can he possibly have the kind of run that he had for the first 60 games of this year? Like, you know, would would you take him higher than 32? Does that seem about right to you? I think 32 seems right. Finished 24th this year. The, the, The Bulls were dealing with so many injuries throughout the year and just various absences that I think a fully healthy version of the Bulls does not result in DeMar DeRozan averaging 27 a game um, on 50% shooting um, and a career high in free throw percentage. Like I just, I, I, I don't want to say like it was a complete fluke, but I, I think they'll find a way to make the offense a little more egalitarian, especially since you have Levine around. You know, Lonzo only played 35 games. You got 41 games out of Caruso. You got 17 games out of Patrick Williams. Not that he's like a usage hog or anything like that. Um, I again, I think I think this is probably Demar's uh, ceiling was this season, which is why I, I think it's fair to have him like five to ten spots lower based on some other guys who might have higher upside. He's a player that I'm just okay getting burned by next year. You know, if he does this again. Good for him. Good for the Bulls. Good for those who who took him in fantasy drafts. But I'm not, I, I'm not drafting him with this being the expectation or this being even close to the expectation. You know, um, although it, some recent comments from Levine, I, I don't know that Zach yeah. Levine's going to be back. So you take him out of the equation and you assume that you're not replacing him with anybody who's near the caliber of Zach Levine. 
all of a sudden it becomes a little more feasible for DeRozan to to replicate this. True. If Levine's not there, then I'm I'm cool at drafting tomorrow like 25th yeah. or even 20th or something like that. Because right. like you said, like they're maybe to get some shooters or some defenders or something. And it's like I mean, as much as I like Lonzo, the, he can't stay healthy either. I and mean, yeah. it's not like he's taking 15 shots a game or anything like that. It's actually amazing that DeRozan had the year he did, given that like Levine was mostly healthy. Vooch was pretty much completely healthy. You know, they're only, you know, they, they lost Lonzo towards the end of the year, but that really didn't affect DeRozan that much. Uh, that, you know, Patrick Williams doesn't really matter for the offense. Like normally when, when a player has a breakout like this, you know, it's well, the, you know, the two and three option were both injured. Like he, he just straight up had a massive jump at, at age 32. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about Jordan Poole. Huh? Okay. So he is at 54 and I think this feels about right. I mean, maybe maybe a little high for my liking, given some of the names around him. But I mean, every game you watch of the Warriors in the playoffs, it just feels like we we should be moving him up like another five spots. Uh, the the big question for me, I guess, is just what like how much of a ceiling can he have when the Warriors are at full strength? And I, I think in the playoffs, the answer has been a pretty high one. You know, like even with Clay back, with Draymond back, with Steph back, he's still having these games where he looks like at times the best player out of all those guys. Yeah, I mean, in the in their uh, in their five playoff, excuse me, six playoff games they've played so far, he's averaging twenty three and six, and he's shooting he's shooting fifty six, forty nine, eighty six. Um, you know, I actually think maybe we have him low because he finished fifty seventh per game this year, playing thirty minutes a game, eighteen and a half points, four assists. Do you think he's going to play worse? Like, do you think his numbers go down next year? Because if they don't, then you have to draft him. Like, you can't, you can't let him slip to like fifty-five. I mean, he won't. He won't. I think, I, I think we're low on him. Honestly, now that I think about it. Yeah, I mean, you might be right. Um, yeah, and, and he's played. He's gotten better and better as the season's gone on. I, I think that that is what probably backs you up your point more than anything. It's you know, first twenty-eight games of the season. Uh, so from mid-October to mid-December, essentially the first two months, he was at 18, 3, and 3, you know, on 44% shooting, 33% from three. So like, good, not great. Um, he, he missed a stretch of a few games in December. And then from January 1st on, you know, he was at 19 points a game, three and a half boards, four and a half assists. The shooting was way up, 40% from three, 92% at the line. That, that's a, a sneaky boon to his fantasy value. And at 46% from the field. So He's gotten better and better. It, it hasn't, the biggest thing is it hasn't seemed to matter who's around him. And I, I think that's really, really encouraging. Um, it, it, to me, it just seems, it seems like there should have been more of a fall off when Clay Thompson came back and started to come into his own. And, you know, save for those last two games against Denver where Poole was just weirdly quiet. You know, he was three of 10 in both games. Other than that, I mean, he's been, he's been fantastic. He was their best player in game one against Memphis. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, do we have to start talking about him kind of as like OKC James Harden? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, um, as you were talking, I was, I looked up their numbers. So I, the on off court numbers. So with Curry Thompson and Draymond on the court with pool pools, averaging 15 points a game and six assists. Uh, so, and, and the sample's not very big. It's f- 50 minutes, five, zero. So like, uh, you know, I, 
because they barely played together in the regular season at all, right? They played like 11 total minutes the regular season or something like that together. Um, I just, you know, he's going to play a ton with those guys off the court too, right? Because he can be like their sixth man, sort of like Harden was in OKC. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, I, he's not going to, he's, He's going to go way earlier than 50, but it's going to be tough exactly to determine his upside. And maybe, I mean, maybe we'll just end up using the playoffs as like the final, you know, if he continues to play like this throughout the playoffs, then I, I, that does really feel like the, the sky's the limit for him. Yeah. He's going to be a guy that is just a popular player. You know, even if he right. maybe doesn't quite deserve it, he's going to be drafted five to 10 spots higher just because people want, to have Jordan Poole on their team. He's a cool guy. He's up and coming. Um, so yeah, you're going to have to pay a premium. That's for sure. I, I want to talk about the upcoming sophomores and, and where they fell in our rankings. Um, we had Kate Cunningham as our top uh, second year player. He's at 36. Scotty Barnes, 46. Evan Mobley uh, down at 48. Jalen Green came in at 76. And then we had Josh Giddy at 85. Franz Wagner at 93. I, I think that all adds up, right? I mean, I, I, I definitely had trouble with uh, Barnes, especially. I, I think yeah. I think the, the case for Kate Cunningham is pretty cut and dried. Um, you know, he showed enough glimpses, especially over the second half, um, that, that his counting stats are going to be really projectable. But I mean, Scotty Barnes is that unique player where he doesn't have to average 20. He doesn't have to, you know, put up eight assists a game. He, he's kind of – I think he's going to be like the next Sean Marion a fantasy where it's not going to feel like he's having these like dominant statistical seasons, but he's just going to be so good in every category that he's maybe the rare player. Who's a better fantasy commodity than real life player. Right. He was, so he was 70th this year per game, but I mean, it, he is, he, he is clearly so crucial to the, to their team. And we saw it during the playoffs. Um, You know, I think, the main concern for him has to be his shooting, right? Like he's just not not very good free throw shooter, not a very good three point shooter. Although thirty percent is not bad for someone who has a reputation of like a bad shooter. Um, yeah, and I think he'll I think he'll improve there. But yeah, he's just gonna he's gonna continue stuffing the stat sheet. And um, you know, I guess your only concern with him is like they have other guys, right? So they have Van Vliet handling the ball. Siakam's gonna handle the ball a ton. Gary Trent fires up a ton of shots. OG Anobi is still going to be featuring the offense. So I think part of it is like, if you're projecting offensive ceiling immediately for next season, it's not, it's not like Cades is, for example. It's just yeah. not, it's not that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the kind of re-emergence of Siakam really hurts Barnes in some ways because Siakam was amazing. I mean, once he came back from, from missing time early on, I think he answered a lot of questions. I think a lot of people thought, um, you know, he had already kind of hit his peak a couple of years ago and, and, you know, we weren't really sure who he was going to be. And we have him up at, at 24 in our rankings now. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point on Barnes. I mean, I, I still think he's a really safe option. You know, he was pretty much bulletproof the entire year, ended up missing a couple games in the playoffs with that foot injury. But I think he's somebody that, you know, I kind of feel the same way about him as I did OG and Obi, you know, maybe a year or two ago where there's this, there's this feeling of untapped upside and then also feeling of safety where, you know, you just know that, you know, as long as they're not injured, like guys like that, you're not going to have like major regret if you take that guy 50th overall. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Mobley fits into that category too. Yeah. Um, you know, Mobley being next to Jared Allen just caps his upside. He's not going to be able he's not going to grab 12, 13 rebounds a game. 
and he's not going to be in position to block two or three shots because Allen is sitting there. So obviously his ceiling's very high um, uh, in the future, but you have to think about like in the immediate, like just next season, is there what's preventing him from being like, from taking the real step? And there is something there as for like Cade, nothing's there except like Jeremy Grant thinking that he's the best player on the team. Well, hopefully he's going to be gone. I think we can cross our fingers in that regard. But, well, you know, they want Marvin Bagley back on a three-year deal. I I love that that information was (laughs) leaked, I guess. Like, I don't know who leaked that. Uh, I think every other team is like, that's fine. You you can have him. (laughs) Uh, Jonathan Isaac. We have him at 88. I I did not really know what to do with Isaac. Assuming he plays on opening night, it will be – something like 800 plus days since he's played in an NBA game. The last time he played was the NBA bubble. Uh, As you recall, he was hurt most of that year, came back in the bubble and then got hurt even more. Um, You know, the injuries are a concern. The uh, whatever's been going on off the court with him, he he seems a little bit lost in some regards, not really a, a massive concern for fantasy, but I just don't even know where we're at with him. Like it feels like we've just gotten like very few updates on Jonathan Isaac uh, over the last two years, which doesn't really match up with how good he was before he got hurt. I mean, he was at 1.6 steals and 2.3 blocks per game uh, that season before the bubble injury. Yep. Yeah, 2019-20, played 34 games, ranked 34th per game in fantasy, uh, which is why why we have him 80 again because it's like, well, what do you even do with this guy? I, I felt like that was the spot where after pick 80 or around pick 80, you're kind of just, you're really just throwing darts anyway. Like, yeah, maybe you can go for some high floor guys, depending on how deep your league is. But at that point, I think most fantasy players should be shooting for upside. And Isaac is a guy who literally, who it wasn't a huge sample, but it also wasn't a small sample. He proved that he could be a, a like a third round value. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in that range, that 80 range is like, I'm just going to take him. I would take him there for sure. Even if, even if the updates are bizarre and he hasn't played in two years, like I still think that the magic would like to make him part of their current roster and future. And even if they don't want to, they have to get him on the court uh, to showcase him for other teams. It's just, they have to play him. So against all odds, we have five Orlando magic players who rank between 75 and 93. (laughs) <laughs> so that is Carter, Bamba, Cole Anthony, Jonathan Isaac, Franz Wagner. I, I have a hard time believing all five of those guys are going to be top 95 players. I, we'll see. I mean, I think Isaac is probably the biggest liability by far of that crew. Uh, jury's still kind of out on Cole Anthony. Like he, he had that right. kind of early middle portion of the year where it felt like he was taking off and then regressed toward the end. Um, and Bamba and Carter – I guess if you could guarantee me that that's going to be the starting front court again, I will buy in. But, you know, thankfully that's why we're not doing 2022, 23 drafts right now, because I feel like a lot could change there. If they're going to get another high draft pick, uh, Jalen Suggs will be factoring more into the mix next year. Um, but, you know, it's kind of the, the Carter Baba thing is kind of like, uh, you know, a junior version of, of Mobley and Allen in Cleveland, where it, it's right. worked really well for Cleveland. It, it seemed like statistically it worked for Orlando. Both those guys had career years, but, they were still a terrible team. You know, like, I, I just, I don't know how long they're going to stick with that. I don't know either. Um, uh, well, Carter's, <laughs> Carter's safer. Bamba has more upside, right? Is that, is that fair to say? I mean, I think, yeah, I, I think that's fair. 
I, I, well, I, I don't think know. they're. I don't know because like, <laughs> Carter, you you wrote the write up on Carter. He's played. He's averaging like fifty games a year. Well, that's true. Yeah, the injuries. I mean, they sat him at the end of the year for you know who knows if those injuries were exaggerated. I think I think you can like. Yeah, and the backcourt's a mess, man. I, I don't even know how to decipher the Orlando backcourt, which is why I think all these guys, Cole Anthony, Fultz, Suggs, they all just ended up in this, like, this 90 to 150, like, hey, man, if you like him, take a chance on him. Because you mentioned it, Cole Anthony started out hot and then was just, like, fizzled off pretty badly. Suggs had his moments, but didn't look great. I mean, I'm, I'm marginally encouraged by Suggs because he gets to the free throw line, but that's really about it. And Fultz, <laughs> Fultz is per 36. I mean, he didn't play very much. Um, but his per 36 was like 20 and 10 with two steals this season. Um, they kept him limited to like 20-something minutes. So I don't. I have no idea what to make of that. And it feels like impossible that they would draft another guard. Um, but, you know, maybe Wagner gets squeezed. I, I just, I really have no idea what to make of this team. They just got a lot of guys right now. Let's have the R.J. Barrett discussion. Okay. He, he came in at 134. He's sandwiched between Markel Fultz and Royce O'Neal. It, it just it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, it, it's just, his free throw percentage is so bad that you know, it, it, it yeah. can feel like he's making real progress as a player. And it felt like, you know, especially over the second half of the season as Julius Randle continued to fade, like, he, he really stepped up and had some some memorable performances. You know, he was a 26-3 and three guy. But then you look and he shot 41% from the field. He was even worse at the line this year than last year, 71% for a guy who gets there six times per game. That's terrible. The three-point shooting took a step back. I, I mean, we're, we're only going into his fourth year, but I, I still feel like I'm in the the phase where like I, I will be targeting him. I know I will at the end of draft <laughs> because one of these one of these days, his, his free throw percentage is going to jump like 15 percentage points overnight. My concern is, yeah, the the shooting percentages. When you look on cleaning the glass and you look at the uh, shooting accuracy charts, uh, they include percentiles, which are color-coded in um, orange or blue based on good or bad. And Barrett's entire shot chart for the first three years is all blue. It's all under 50%, except last season, he shot 36% on non-corner threes which is marginally above 50th percentile. Um, I have no idea. I Again, I don't know what to make of RJ Barrett, man. He's like, if DeMar DeRozan sucked at free throws. Like, I, I just, yeah. like, it's, you know, you can, like, some of me was projecting, I don't, I'm not sure Randall's going to be on this team next year, and Walker and Derrick Rose, and, like, I don't, are they going to do this Alec Burks thing again? Is Cam Reddish involved in this at all? Um, I just have no idea what's happening. And so, like, even but the thing is, even when you even when you take Randall off the court, Barrett, so Barrett has a 34% usage rate, superstar stuff when Julius Randall is not on the court, but the averages are still per 36, 24, 5, and or 24, 6, and 4. And the four being the assists. And that also includes three turnovers. So I, yeah, the, the numbers are the numbers. I, I will acknowledge that. Uh, there's there's not a lot that works in his favor. Uh, he, he takes a lot of tough shots. You know, he does. I mean, when, oh, you're taking, that's true. when you're, when yeah. you're carrying an entire city on your shoulders, you're not always going to be the most efficient. He gets fouled. Okay, I think yeah. I think if we can if we can if we can pin R.J. Barrett down to one thing, the man gets fouled. He does. He sure does. 
Thank you for saying that. That's that's very big of you. Uh, yeah, he's he's going to be a late route guy for me. I think we can establish that. You know, maybe some people won't have, uh, you know, won't be so bold as to to put him on their roster. But I, I did win a league this year with RJ Barrett starting the entire year. So okay, well, it can be done. Was it a points league? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. Wow, nice. Yeah, it was. Yeah, thanks. It was a head-to-head categories league, and uh, yeah, I, I basically just like punted free throw percentage. I was going to say and, and found a way. <laughs> caught caught some major breaks uh, during the postseason, and and here we are. Uh, all right, let's, let's hit on a couple more guys, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, we, we got a Bucks game to watch shortly. Um, I, I don't want to dig into any of the rookies quite yet. I, I think it's kind of a fool's errand to do that before the draft. Uh, we'll, we'll adjust this, of course, when we know their actual landing spots, but. I, I want to hit on a couple guys just in the, you know, kind of 80 to hundred range who are, are kind of floating out there. Kyle Kuzma comes in at 92 <laughs> in our rankings coming off of a career year. Uh, it really felt like it was kind of the best case for him. I, I think he took a step forward in terms of showing what he can do, you know, individually after getting out from the shadow, you know, of LeBron and the Lakers, but it, it was, you know, mostly fueled by Bradley Beal one being bad when he was out there and two, missing the final 40 plus games of the season uh, you know, that this team is a complete mess. I don't know, you know, what direction they're going in roster wise, you know, Porzingis is now kind of the number two, I guess, behind Beal. Uh, if Kuzma is operating as your third option, that's not necessarily the worst thing, but I, I just think he's going to have a hard time replicating last year's numbers, like rebounding wise. I think that that was probably the biggest surprise. He took a huge step forward there. Yeah. He had some massive rebounding games late in the year. They were just letting him do whatever. Uh, which is awesome to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, ranked 72nd this year per game. And then you have Beal coming back. You have, like you mentioned, Porzingis is here now. Porzingis was, Porzingis was letting it fly uh, at the end of the year. We'll see how that ends up working. And Hachimura is kind of still in the mix. And I, I have no idea what to feel about Hachimura. I'm like, I'm as confused about Rui Hachimura as like Ari Barrett at this point. Um, and... Um, I guess your only positive sign is like they don't have a point guard. So uh, maybe they start Beal at point guard and then the positions kind of shift down and Kuzma is still able to play like small forward or probably power forward. Um, and he's still able to put up some numbers, but I would be surprised if he if he ranks higher than he did this season, last season, however you want to phrase it. I feel similarly confused about Anthony Simons, who we have <laughs> at 96. That to me, I, he was one of the single hardest players to rank when we were going through and doing the player versus player matchups to generate these rankings. I, I just don't know. I mean, there, I, I think it's okay for us to say we have no idea what the Blazers roster is going to look like. He could very well end up starting next to Damian Lillard, or he could end up being like the second guard off the bench. Like, I, I really don't know. A hundred percent. I just like, it, I was kind of trying to shoot the gap. I was like, well, I'm going to, in some situations, I'm going to, I'm going to move Simons off the draft board based on, I think maybe Damian Lillard's gone. And then in other situations, I'm knocking him down because maybe Damian Lillard stays. And ultimately I kind of just looked at his Simons complete season, which was 30 minutes a game, 17 points, four assists, good three point shooting, three made a game at 41%. And I just thought maybe he just averages that next year. If Lillard is there, I feel like if Lillard's there the whole season, McCollum's gone. Why not Simon? Like why wouldn't Simon's average 17 and four, if not a little better. Um, But like you mentioned, we're not oracles, so we can't, (laughs) there's just no good place to rank him. He may as well just be like a, like a, 
like an N slash A to be determined uh, ranking in our in our list. Yeah, this is one of the the casualties of doing this exercise so early. Is there's there are certain guys who you you literally just can't feel good about you know where you're going to place them. Um, anyone else that you want to hit on before we hop out of here? No, no, I think I think we hit on a lot of the uh, the guys who deserve to be talked about. And last week we talked about some guys as well. Um, so this was good, and we're we're gonna be doing video on this, right? Or we might be doing more content on this later. So. And this will be up on the website. <laughs> like if everybody wants to look at it, uh, this will be up on the website for a long time. Yes, a long, long time. I, I actually, I, I was thinking about starting the podcast by just reading the top 150 so then the readers could just write them down or the listeners could write them down uh, as we go. But yeah, make sure you check it out. It's pretty easy to find on the NBA page. We did actually do a video. I did one with, with Alan yesterday, uh, kind of diving deeper into the top 10. Uh, I believe he has plans for you to do video as well. So keep an eye on your email. Um, hope maybe yeah, maybe this is news to you. Uh, but there will be some more content coming out of this. Uh, we'll, we'll try to maximize it as much as we can uh, as we, we near the dreaded kind of dead zone of the fantasy basketball season. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.